All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor. This is uh, December 27th, 2016. It will be the last show of this year. Um, I am uh, really pleased to be talking to you uh, through now uh, since, uh, well, we started this show 2009, actually, in March. So it's been a number of years, and uh, it's been a pretty good run. Uh, we've had our ups and downs in terms of the gold share markets, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, I've, I remain at it, and uh, I'd like to remind you each and every week that I am also uh, the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, which you can sign up for. You can um, buy, purchase a subscription there at miningstocks.com, or you can call our office at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours here in New York. Do you want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and uh, encourage you to send along questions, comments, criticisms, and praises to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. You do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week's show are Dynasert, uh, RN Resources, and Novo Resources. And uh, next week, uh, Jim Payne, the president of Dynasert, uh, is scheduled to be my guest, uh, even though uh, a Trump presidency may not em- emphasize environmental issues uh, to the extent the Obama administration has. The economics of this company's hydrogen units are highly favorable for truck drivers, and uh, the profit margins appear to be very, very strong, or should be at least, we believe, for Dynasert. Uh, and so Dynasert is in the process now of ramping up uh, its uh, production capacity to more than 6,000 units per month. And from what I can understand and what I understand and can see uh, from where I sit, the demand for those units are very strong uh, and uh, profit margins should be very strong. And uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to Jim Payne next week uh, to get a better handle on uh, what the prospects are for Dynasert, uh, a company that is definitely reducing uh, the cost of driving, uh, the cost of fuel consumption uh, by upwards to 18% for trucks. So, uh, very promising story, I believe, and so I hope that you'll be here next week to listen to that. Regarding Novo Resources, I've been in touch with Dr. Quentin Henning, and it is my understanding that uh, he will be reporting on that company's test mining results sometime in the middle of January. I do expect to have him on this show to talk about that, about the time that he goes public with that information. And there are a number of things uh, that he's telling me are going on that cannot be discussed uh, publicly yet. 
about a number of things that are going on down there in, uh, at the Beaton's Creek Project uh, that appear to bode very well for shareholders. With respect to RN Resources, uh, which is uh, the stock that is the second largest holding in my personal uh, portfolio, uh, Novo being the largest, uh, I would urge you to view a video presentation by the company's head geologist, Michael Hendrickson. Now, he talks about the about uh, RN's numerous exploration projects that will uh, that we'll see aggressive exploration over the next year. I think some very exciting news likely to be forthcoming from Oren. And uh, it is definitely, in, in my view, one of the most exciting stories out there in the junior resource sector. But if you want to really understand the potential for Oren, I would encourage you to view a video that is done in which, uh, in which Mr. Hendrickson the company's lead geologist discusses all those projects, and you can uh, link onto that if you go to J. Uh, t- if you go to uh, miningstocks.com, go to miningstocks.com, and you can uh, and you can uh, click on the link, the top link uh, that's there right now uh, on the homepage that uh, will take you to the RN uh, Resources video and a description of the company's projects. Uh, one more note before we get into today's show, and also a topic uh, I expect to address in my final final weekly newsletter this coming weekend, and that is a topic discussed last week on the show by Daniel Oliver. Now, Daniel is of the opinion that we are heading into a debt deflation crisis that will end up being very positive for gold shares, but not necessarily for all commodities. Uh, just to quote Daniel in a piece that he sent out to his uh, to his list this uh, this week, uh, he said, and I quote, In the 1930s, the Fed finally gave up trying to tame the stock market and let the market crash. In the 1970s, the Fed printed enough money that the debts were worked off through inflation instead of default. Gold mining margins surged both times as credit levels fell in real terms and will again. But only those with fortitude will reap the gains. The 41% drop in the HUI has experienced uh, since the peak mid-year may be depressing, but sharp drawdowns are in the nature of mining stocks. The cycle, this cycle is no different than any other. Even the highly inflationary 1970s, during which gold rose 25 times, the Barron's Gold Mining Index, the HUI, the HUI wasn't then... Uh, constituted, he says, uh, during that time the gold, the Barron's Gold Mining Index saw drawdowns exceeding 40 percent on a fairly regular basis. Uh, Daniel says that his thesis is that junior gold mining equities provide economic insurance, underperforming when the broader markets are advancing, and vice versa. Since current weakness in gold is matched by broader market strength, this thesis continues to play out. End of quote. Uh, by Daniel Oliver. Now, I do expect to discuss this more in my weekly newsletter. Indeed, the 1930s uh, saw homestake mining increase in value by eight or nine times, while the uh, Dow lost nearly 90% of its value. So gold has done very, very well in deflationary environments. Why? Because the cost of the items required to get it out go down relative to the price of gold. So you could conceivably see a nominal decrease in the price of gold and the real price of gold rise, and with that, uh, an increase in the um, 
uh, an increase in the profit margins of gold mining companies. Uh, that, in fact, uh, did play out to a limited extent after the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Uh, up through about 2011, we did see a real uh, increase an increase in the real price of gold relative to commodities, and that led to big uh, profits for the major mining companies. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, Dan is on to something here. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll look to expand on that uh, theory more in uh, future um, episodes in this show. Well, let's turn to today's show. Um, I've titled today's show, What Will Trump Mean for Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness? Jeff Deist and Daniel McAdams and uh, Michael Oliver will all return. Uh, today's show, the political landscape has seldom been less certain, at least in my lifetime, from what I can, I, from what I can remember. Uh, those who voted for Trump, I believe, were largely people who believed an uncertain future was better than the status quo that has uh, been leading America into a most certain bankruptcy and a lifestyle spiraling uh, inevitably downward for almost everyone except the top 1%. As Daniel Oliver pointed out last week, when Rome was on a similar course of ruin at the hands of the ruling elite, its citizens settled for fascism as trade as a trade-off. Uh, against poverty. In selecting Trump, has America made a similar pact with the devil? Well, that's a couple of the questions we want to try to get answered from uh, Jeff uh, Deist and Daniel McAdams. Um, Ron Paul, uh, above all politicians, was most concerned about the retention of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I would say. Uh, And Jeff and Daniel, well, we'll get their ideas on, on Donald Trump and what that might mean. Um, for those most important uh, unique uh, uh, guarantees that were given to us by our founding fathers. Uh, Above all else, I remember hearing Ron Paul say on this show that as long as we had our freedom and our liberty, we could gain uh, prosperity. But if we lose our freedom and our liberty, uh, things aren't going to be looking very well for us in in the material uh, world, at least. So... um, we do. Uh, we will be talking to Michael Oliver, though, just in a, a minute or two to get his more immediate view of where we're headed in 2017 in the major markets. Um, in fact, he's going to be with us. Uh, we, well, we do have to take a station break right now, a, a commercial break, I should say. And as soon as we come back, Michael Oliver will be with us to talk about his outlook for 2017. So don't go away. We'll be right back. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay Project, located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource, outlined by drilling thus far, stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asenko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over two. $200 million. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again the most frequent guest on this show, this is the most frequent guest this show has ever known, Michael Oliver. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Great to be back, Jay. Always good to have you, and I want to tell our listeners before we go any further, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to follow Michael and to sign up for his newsletter. Uh, Michael, during the four day, the final days of 2016, I understand you will be issuing some reports on the four major exchange-traded categories. It's like, I believe those are debt, stocks, commodities, and foreign exchange. Uh, with ideas as to which of these markets are poised to produce the largest percentage moves uh, in 2017. Now, you've told me that you do not see gold or gold shares as the only major arenas of interest in 2017. Instead, you see major linkages between all four categories. Can you talk to us a little bit about those linkages and where you think things might be headed, which, which items might be headed up, which might be headed down? Well, I, I think that the moves have already started. We've had sort of a prelude. The only one that seems to be deceptive in that regard are U.S. stocks, S&P, Dow, and so forth, which are, yeah, put them in, let's start with them, uh, equity category. Um, you have to differentiate between developed market and emerging markets. And even in the developed markets, you have to look at, at Europe, Japan, and the U.S. and see a stark difference. Uh, Bernanke said years ago, you know, one of his goals was to drive U.S. stock prices up. It was one of his policy goals. Uh, why? To create happiness and bountiful joy, you know, and, and, and uh, spending. You know, not saving, but spending. Mm-hmm. I think he succeeded. And I think that uh, the S&P doesn't know it yet, but it's, it's clearly slowed to a crawl. Two years ago, 24 months ago, December of 2014, S&P was trading at 2093. We're right now 8% above there. So you divide it by 24 and tell me how much joy that is. Okay? Yeah. Um, it's marginal. And in one or two bad days, you can erase that, and we know that. Um, I'm not going to get real specific. Uh, I mean, we do have subscribers, institutions, and high net worth investors who pay for the specifics, but I can give you some broad um, notions about our assessment of likely trends for 2017. The S&P, we think, will cave. Uh, it, all it has to do is sneeze about 3% to the downside. And as far as we're concerned, we start to get into a minefield of negative numbers. Okay, let's go over to the more important categories. Uh, and pardon me for sliding equities, but it is right, as far as I'm concerned, it is less important. Debt category, government specifically. The government bonds of uh, developed market, Japan, Italy is what I'm really focused on in Europe, and UST bonds, have all turned trend to higher rates lower prices. That trend change just occurred a few months ago. So it took us till the first half of the year to continue upward in price, downward yield, and then finally a few months ago that changed. And it didn't just change on a short-term basis for us. It was a long-term trend change, and therefore we're looking for higher rates uh, as far out as we can see. Uh, And we think it could be pretty dramatic. But that only just began. So 2016 really hasn't had a chance to display the negative impact of higher rates yet. 
uh, we think that will be exposed as we get into 2017. So there's a major asset category that has only just begun. Okay, Commodities. Uh, the metric we like best for the overall basket is the Bloomberg Commodity Index. It's a well-balanced index, uh, similar to the CRB. It's not like the Goldman Sachs, which is uh, heavily weighted to energy. This is, it's well-balanced. So far this year, as far as we're concerned, Bloomberg has broken out upside on annual momentum. And that, that's, that's not a minor statement. Uh, you can have three-month swings and six-month swings, but when you break annual momentum out, up or down, you're generally talking about the next couple of years. Uh, as far as we're concerned, several months ago it turned up. It has gained some ground since then. And uh, net on the year, it's up more than the S&P. I think it's up about uh, 11, 11.5% on the year right now. And I think it has only just begun to rise. The stars so far in commodities this year were gold, silver, although they've had a sharp pullback, admittedly. Uh, gold miners, lump them in there. Sugar and oil, particularly oil. Uh, and energy products have uh, taken the f- forefront of that, that particular asset category. I um, mean, oil is up 46% on the year right now. Uh, compare that to the S&P. However, next year we think that the new stars within the commodity complex will be the laggards, the ones that laid on their back all year. And that would be meats and grains, particularly the grains. It would be corn, bean, and soybe- corn, soybeans, and wheat. Uh, we think they could have a, easily have a 40% year. Um, again, specific numbers that trigger those, those trend changes are, are in our reports. But we think next year the back end of the commodity category wakes up and that Bloomberg gets another push upward, big. Now, again, linking. If the commodity index is turning up and the bonds are turning down, meaning higher yields, lower prices, that makes some sense, doesn't it? Uh, it's it's yeah. bonds, the higher rates, which some equity bulls would like to assign to the prospect of a stronger economy. What if, in fact, the higher rates are the prospect of inflation, particularly led by commodities, which I think is probably the more likely case? And I think, therefore, the downturn in T-bonds, higher yields, the upturn in the Bloomberg Commodity Index go hand in hand and both reinforce one another's new trend direction. Uh, then we have the very sleepy asset category, and I say very sleepy. The dollar index, which is a basket of major foreign currencies that uh, trade weighted, of which 57% or more is the euro. So we look at the euro and the dollar index, and they have been deadsville for almost two years, certainly a year and a half, to where the range of price action in those two currencies has been about 10%, and it's been both ways constantly, up, down, up, down, up, down. Uh, recently, the dollar made a marginal new high out above its 2015 high, which was just above 100. We got to 103.50 or something. Right now, it's 103. And the euro went down and tapped out timidly, and this is a few weeks ago, its lows of the last year and a half. And nothing happened. It was they blew the, the top out and the bottom out, and they didn't go anywhere. And we think those were false price chart actions preludes to reversals back the other way. And again, it won't take much in the terms of dollar index decline from current levels and euro upticks to fully change the annual momentum uh, trend of those two major currencies. And if it does happen, and we think it will, and we provide specific numbers, but again, it's, it's a sneeze away from where we are now, you will waken the foreign exchange markets uh, the big currencies in the foreign exchange markets. And finally, Forex will become a, a wave-creating factor 
among the other asset categories. Commodities so far have gone up without much, without any help from a weak dollar. Gold mm-hmm. is gained this year without any help from a weak dollar. Imagine if the dollar got weak. So, uh, again, fitting all these four asset categories together, and, and now, fortunately, for investors, high net worth investors and asset managers, there are two major areas you can go to to access these markets. That's the futures or ETFs. Mm-hmm. So we think 2017 is going to be a heck of a year, and we think to some extent the prelude has already been given in 16. And uh, it, it won't take much to sort of complete that in 17 and, and lock cinch the new trends in play. Mm-hmm. Well, ETFs, of course, give uh, smaller investors a good chance and opportunity sure. uh, to get involved as well, either on the long or short side. Correct. Uh, so that that is really uh, something that's helping, uh, I think, smaller investors as well. I want to ask you, uh, you, you talked about annual momentum being so important and really signaling a longer-term change. Uh, we've seen an annual momentum change in gold, too, I think, right? We saw that early this year, and as far as I'm concerned, the pullback as sharp as it's been. It does not negate that in the least, and uh, we strongly suspect <clears throat> that the minor upturn you're starting to get now, we're about 2% off recent lows, um, is uh, probably the beginning point of an upturn. If, if, if gold, for example, were to rally another $20, $30, I'd say you've seen the low. Mm-hmm. You've seen the secondary low, which is the low we made uh, several weeks ago. Um, and it's back on course for a good 2017. So among commodities next year, I would my guess right now would be um, the strongest areas to be would be gold, gold miners especially. We, we prefer gold miners over gold, by the way. We have for a year. Um, and grains, those would be the two focus areas we would we would look at. Uh, I tend to think that oil, which has had a heck of a year this year, will not have such a great year next year. Not that it's going to collapse or anything, but I think it's going to run out of gas, probably go another 10% higher before it does, but still a good chunk of its move has already occurred. Therefore, if you're joining on that train, now you're joining late. Uh, grains, it's a different story, and gold is giving you a second opportunity here. Right. Uh, with respect to the food items, you talk about meats and grains. Uh, you, you see them as being very strong in 2017. Michael, I have to think that if we start to see an uptick in inflation, uh, that that's going to cause some political discontent, uh, no doubt, among, you know, among lower income groups especially. Uh, and it would put a lot of pressure on the Fed, I would think, to reverse course, perhaps, especially if interest rates start rising. I mean, it's, it seems to me somewhat like the 1970s when inflation started taking off, interest rates went up, and the Fed tried to squelch or push down interest rates uh, in, in a way to try to, you know, to try to get the economy going and also to relieve pain uh, for consumers. Do you see the possibility? I know you're mostly looking at the technicals, but from a political economic point of view, is it inconceivable to you that the Fed may reverse course in 2017 and start printing money like mad? It's, um, it's, that's an issue that's partly no longer like it used to be. Uh, there are enough political forces in the world uh, that may not intellectually understand it, but do sort of on the surface understand it, Trump, for example, uh, and some of the political parties in Europe who don't like what the central banks have done. Now, Trump is surrounded by some people who have some brains and who understand this on an intellectual level, academic intellectual level, and who are opponents of what the central bank has done and therefore opponents of the Fed. Uh, Some of them would even like to abolish it, which wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, But uh, the point being that the question is, once 
things get derailed again, the confidence factor of the general public and the investors in particular in central banks has diminished. So what the central banks may or may not do may not have as much impact as it otherwise would. Plus, some of these political forces that are coming into play in Europe and here uh, could hamstring the central banks um, next time around. But still, uh, I see that what they've already done, the, 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 the motions already under the tectonic plates already that are in motion, uh, are enough to drive the commodities upward, equities downward, and so forth. It's not like they have to do something more. They've already done it. The issue mm-hmm. is unleashing and repricing assets where they otherwise might have been had it not been for their deliberate intentions and policies to price stocks up and keep commodities down and right. to keep rates low. So it's just the unwinding of their prior policies that mm-hmm. could create these big moves with or without their any future policy on their part. Well, that's, uh, we'll have to leave it go at that. But 2017 okay. promises to be quite an interesting year, to say the least. Would you agree with that, uh, Michael? I, absolutely. It's going to be a great year. All right. Well, uh, that's it for now. We're going to have to go to a commercial break, but don't go away because when we come back, I'm going to have Jeff Deist and uh, Daniel McAdams both uh, formerly uh, working with Ron Paul when he was Congressman Ron Paul and when he ran for president. Both of these gentlemen want to talk to about uh, the idea of a Trump presidency, whether what that might mean for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Jeff Deist and Daniel McAdams. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network novo resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects its flagship asset is the beaton's creek gold project in western australia where it is currently processing a 30,000 ton bulk sample novo also controls 100 percent interest in the blue spec gold antimony project where it is conducting a 10,000 meter drill program the company has over 7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of eric sprott and newmont mining it trades in canada and the u.s under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again uh, two of Ron Paul's former staff members, uh, namely Jeff Deist, and, uh, who was chief of staff for Ron Paul during Dr. Paul's run for the presidency, and Daniel, McAdam, uh, Daniel McAdams, who worked with Ron Paul uh, as his foreign affairs advisor. Jeff is currently president of the Mises Institute. That's an educational organization dedicated to promoting Austrian economics, freedom, and peace, and he has a legal background uh, with a focus on tax law. You can follow Jeff and uh, all that the Mises Institute is doing by going to Mises.org. And Daniel is continuing to work with Ron Paul on an almost daily basis, I guess, uh, certainly at the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And you can go there to follow uh, what Daniel's doing and what's going on at the Ron Paul Institute uh, at uh, ronpaulinstitute.org. Welcome, uh, both of you, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Um, Thank you. Daniel, uh, I'd like to... uh, Ron Paul, who you you work closely with, um, has let it be known that um, he's not a real big fan of Donald Trump. And that is really no surprise to me, actually, because uh, Ron Paul, from what I don't know him as well as either you or Jeff, but from a personality point of view, he seems almost opposite of Donald Trump. Ron is... uh, I, I see him as a humble, polite... A person very willing to acknowledge the goodness and uh, the performance uh, when it's good in others. Trump, on the other hand, seems to be a boisterous uh, person who holds himself out to be pretty much better than almost any other human being alive. It's sort of the way I the way I see him anyway. And the two very opposite people, personality-wise, anyway. But Trump has certainly said some things on the foreign policy front that must be at least somewhat agreeable to Dr. Paul Daniel. For uh, for example. Uh, he is suggesting that perhaps we should try to get along with Russia rather than uh, constantly saber-rattling. You probably don't want to speak for Dr. Paul, but are there any uh, are, there, are there some things, Daniel, that you see uh, Dr. Paul is hopeful about uh, with respect to the Trump presidency? Well, I think you're right, Jay, that he has been very critical of, of Donald Trump's uh, campaign and style, and, and partly it is style, but also there's, there is kind of an authoritarian bent to it. And I think even some of Trump's supporters, even in the libertarian movement, would say, look, he's not a libertarian, but he's less, less bad than Hillary. And I think that's certainly a legitimate position to take. Um, but he does have this authoritarian streak, this idea that I will get the job done, I can get it done. And for someone like Dr. Paul, who's fought against a strong presidency for you know his entire political career, when you have a president, a president elect that looks to aspire to that sort of strong executive, you know, it does cause some alarm bells to go off. But again, you're also right that there are some uh, indications uh, that, that Trump may pursue uh, a better foreign policy than his, at least his last two predecessors, and um, something to be hopeful for. And I think, you know, for many people on foreign policy, uh, the Russia issue is key, because that is the issue that could erupt into uh, a, a worldwide nuclear war. Uh, and nobody wants that. So if, if, if a President Trump will walk us back from the precipice that Obama put us on, and from where uh, from where Hillary promised to take us even further, then I think that would be a great achievement, regardless of his other shortcomings in foreign policy. No, well, certainly one of the most, if not the most important issue uh, that that we're facing right now, in, in my view. Well, uh, Jeff, um, an article written by Robert Perry titled "Trump's Need to Trust America," which appears on the Ron Paul Institute website. Uh, Perry states uh, the following. He says, and I quote, 
Barack Obama's chance for a transformative presidency ended when he bowed to official Washington's foreign policy, establishment of neocons and liberal interventionists, and brought into the elitist notion uh, that American people should be guided by propaganda, not informed facts, end of quote. Uh, Jeff, would you agree with that statement from uh, Robert Perry? And if so, do you think Trump could possibly defy the elites and the military-industrial complex and manage to stay alive at the same time? Or, or might he, uh, in fact, fa- face a similar fate to that of President Kennedy, who dared to take on um, some of the establishment, some of the most important establishment institutions? What, do you, what are your thoughts? Can Trump really pull it off if he wants to? I think we forget sometimes that incentives matter. Uh, there are literally tens or hundreds of thousands of people in and around in the D.C. Beltway, uh, not not only in the form of federal employees, but also lobbyists and lawyers and and uh, trade associations, that sort of thing, who all make their, their living off of the status quo. And then, of course, there are many millions more when it comes to industries that surround central banking uh, that make their living off the status quo. So he's clearly up against some some very uh, significant structural forces when it comes to draining the swamp or anything like that. And I think we should view Trump mostly as a change in tenor and style. You know, you noted earlier uh, that he's this megal, megalomaniac, maniacal authoritarian. And I think that's probably true. But it's interesting how we don't see this sort of dutiful policy maven Hillary as a lunatic when she quite clearly is. I think <laughs> anyone who aspires to the presidency at this point is somewhat unhinged, Ron Paul accepted, simply because it's it's become a position that no human being could ever uh, fathom. No one, no one should have their individual responsibility over nuclear codes. No one can understand the geopolitics of the world, or the or domestic politics, or or the the world economy, or the domestic economy. These are unknowable things by definition. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't view Trump's victory as as something better or worse uh, based on Trump or who he's going to appoint. I. I I just say it's interesting that that many American voters went off the narrative, uh, the inevitability of Hillary, the inevitability of progressivism, the inevitability of globalism. Uh, so I think that's where we, as always, Jay, that's where we have to hold out hope is, is it on the individual level. Yeah, that, uh, that the masses will, will revolt, in fact, as they did in 1776. Uh, Daniel, looking at foreign policy, what are the main issues that Donald Trump will face uh, as he's sworn into office on January 20th? And, and how do you think he will respond to them? Well, I think the absolute main issue uh, is, <clears throat> is the, the neoconservatives. And, you know, Jeff, Jeff hit it on the head when he said, really, there is no one person that can do this kind of job. Uh, who should do this kind of job, and that's what the presidency has become, uh, you know. But without guiding principles, you really, you know, it becomes a playground for the for what we call the deep state, uh, because the president can't know all these very complex geopolitical issues, like like Jeff pointed out. Uh, he really is held hostage to the so-called experts, the people who permanently make their life in the Washington Beltway, who live extremely well. Uh, on the gravy train that's called the military-industrial complex. And so it makes it very, very difficult, even if he had the inclination uh, to make a change, because the job is too too big. If he had the guiding principles of a Ron Paul and a Lou Rockwell uh, and, and a Jeff Dice and the others, then you, you would understand that you have to limit yourself and what the role of the United States should be in the world. And that actually makes it very simple. 
I mean, I had a pretty easy job in some ways on Capitol Hill because I knew when the bills were coming down on foreign policy how bad they were going to be. Uh, so we were guided by principle rather than maneuvering. Uh, but quickly, the main thing that he'll face is the neocons. The neocons are going to come in. They're going to whisper in his ear. They're going to flatter him. They're going to cajole him. Uh, they did all of this to Obama, and they won. He couldn't resist them. I don't know that Trump can resist them. Certainly, certainly we can hope that he will. Um, so, uh, Daniel, um, Obama promised the American people a less aggressive foreign policy, as you sort of alluded to. Uh, the powers of Washington got to him and over, overwhelmed uh, Obama. We, you know, but he, he promised the American people more transparency um, and a less aggressive foreign policy. But instead, we pretty much were treated with the opposite, I would say. He, he undertook an unprecedented crackdown on national security, whistleblowers, you know, Snowden being an example, prosecuting more than any, uh, all, all the other presidents combined in terms of whistleblowers. And he authorized partial and misleading releases of information about key events, which I know you are very familiar with. Uh, instead of an informed public, he, his administration sought to maximize propaganda advantages. For example, the sarin gas attack uh, outside of Damascus in 2013, and the uh, and and the uh, shoot down of a Malaysian airliner, uh, flight 17, back in 2014 over the Ukraine, uh, do you have any hope that a Trump presidency might overcome or might overturn some of these nasty initiatives of Obama uh, that that really served, in in my view, to to reduce uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Any hope uh, on your? I mean, it seems to me that what Jeff was saying. We've got a strong-arm guy, which is almost the only hope that we have in dealing with the forces, uh, the military-industrial complex forces that we have in Washington. I mean, Ron Paul, your boss, your boss, both of your bosses, uh, your your boss, the boss of both of you, was really a mild-mannered, decent, good human being. Is still, and we thank God for him. But you know, can a person like that deal with these people, or do you think? Daniel, that that uh, Trump has the potential or the ability to overcome and to stand firm against all of this manipulation that's going to come to him, inevitably will come to him by the military-industrial complex. Well, the one good thing we can say about Trump is that he is his own man. Uh, he's not beholden to anyone. He ran a tight campaign. Uh, he spent the money as if it was his own, and a lot of it was. So I think his force of personality, while it causes concern on the authoritarian tendencies, it may actually be a benefit when it comes to standing up to these neocons. He might be able to smell the BS uh, from further away than Obama was, and he might hopefully, maybe I'm just fantasizing, but tell some of these creeps to take a hike when they start cajoling and whispering at him. Yeah, we can, we can hope. Uh, Jeff, uh, turning to domestic policy and the economy, uh, the, the equity markets seem to be having quite a, quite a party here at the end of 2016, believing that uh, that the government spending, uh, stimulus, uh, infrastructure stimulus, lower taxes, an overturn of NAFTA, uh, perhaps uh, these are some of the ideas, building a wall, the death uh, of, of TPP, tough negotiations with China, all the stuff that Trump's talking about. Now, I don't know to what extent Wall Street really believes this stuff, but they're having quite a party, and maybe it's nothing more than just more fuel put into the system by the Federal Reserve. But are you at all hopeful that Wall Street uh, that the party that Wall Street's enjoying might be more than mere fantasy? 
Well, there's nothing structural backing it up. I, you know, we're not Keynesians. We don't believe in animal spirits. Right. We don't believe that we can talk ourselves into good times anymore we can, than we can talk ourselves into a recession. The, the key here is, is fundamentals. It's capital accumulation, real gains in productivity, uh, real jobs, uh, you know, real capex by companies, companies that make money and pay dividends, uh, and and you know, not just that artificially through financial means prop up their stock prices through stock buybacks and this sort of thing. So there, there's nothing out there that's really leading to genuine organic growth uh, in jobs or in productivity. I I would argue. So the question becomes, why are we hyperventilating about Dow twenty thousand? I think the answer is pretty simple that, uh, you know, since 2008, 2009, really since 2001 with Alan Greenspan, but especially since 2008, 2009, uh, we have been overheating the monetary base. It's quadrupled, more than quadrupled just since 08. Mm. And while that money doesn't slosh around equally in the general economy, much of it remains sitting on the balance sheets of banks. Uh, it has to go somewhere. And one place it goes is into the equities market because the uh, banking and investor class is more interested in equities because they have more cash uh, than the average Joe who makes $40,000 who's, who's not particularly worried about the stock market, but, but rather paying his bills. So there's a reason why uh, newly created the monetary base uh, goes into the equities market and housing markets in places like San Francisco and New York faster and more furiously and unevenly than it does into the price of a bag of ramen noodles. But nonetheless, uh, if John Williams is to be believed, I think he is, uh, 2017, we will we will start to see cracks in this uh, artificial border between asset price inflation and actual consumer price inflation. So, um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm nothing but clear eyed about the economy and where the growth is going to come from. Does Trump's election change things, energize things? I, I suppose it could. Uh, he's perhaps a bit more of a Fed hawk than uh, Hillary Clinton would be, and perhaps a bit more of a deficit and tax hawk than Hillary Clinton would be. So if those are, are slightly happy things for markets and markets have reacted, then uh, I'm all for it. But uh, to, to see the, uh, the equities markets uh, grow as rapidly as they have without a corresponding growth in real productivity. Mm-hmm. And I, I might also add real wages. Uh, it just shows that it's an artifice and it's not really doing anyone uh, much good other than those who sell uh, before the crash. Right. Well, we've seen some productivity growth, but largely because of technology. And I think and uh, the wages have really suffered, as you mentioned. You'd like to also see wages, uh, real wages rise. And, uh, you know, it's another issue for another discussion, perhaps. But, uh, Daniel, you know, we've, we've had government now that seems to be spying on all its citizens all of the time, or at least it has the ability to do so. Uh, now we learn that Obama just quietly signed the Countering Disinformation and Propaganda Act, or perhaps better known, I would I would call it perhaps the Fake News Act. Based on some of Trump's cabinet selections, uh, do you have any hope that this Trump presidency uh, might reverse things uh, or might be able to uh, reverse the, the damage that's done by by this uh, by this President Obama? Well, we always have hope. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I don't think Trump has ever pretended to be a real civil libertarian. So right. I don't think there's a lot there's a lot to to um, to be optimistic about. 
but hopefully when he looks at the at, at how grotesque this measure is, and of course, as usual, it was slipped into the National Defense Authorization Act in the dead of night. It was a standalone right. bill. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was a standalone bill that they had to sneak in because it was a must-pass bill, so they snuck it in there and it passed. And it, uh, you know, essentially what it does, Jay, is it threatens, it threatens all of us. It threatens the Mises Institute. It threatens Jay Taylor. It threatens the Ron Paul Liberty Report. Any, any organization that doesn't toe the line, any organization, uh, for example, that says we shouldn't have World War III with Russia, uh, all of a sudden it means that you are in the pay of Putin. You are a foreign propagandist. Yeah. And, you know, a, a month ago, or two months ago, I would have said it's just really a, an absurd, insane idea. But here the Washington Post comes out in, in November 29th with this article uh, uncovering all of these organizations as Russian propaganda fronts, you know, including the Drudge Report, Lou Rockwell, the Ron Paul Institute, Zero Hedge, uh, all of these, you know, major and mainstream alternative uh, or independent websites are now tarred as being somehow in the employ or doing the bidding, winning or unwitting, of Vladimir Putin. Uh, you know, it, it's something that is so insane it would be laughed off, except for the fact that now this legislation puts together a federal government task force, including the CIA, the State Department, the FBI, to go out and identify so-called foreign propaganda and fight against it. But this really lays the groundwork for a serious crackdown on the First Amendment, uh, for a serious crackdown on the independent media, and, and, and it's, a, it's really one of, the, one of the greatest dangers that I've seen come down since the Patriot Act. It certainly seems to be. I mean, I guess you're allowed to have your First Amendment rights as long as you agree with the government. I mean, it sounds so totalitarian. It sounds so much like a dictatorship, doesn't it? Jeff, do you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> well, they love uh, free speech and they love democratic voting until the wrong guy wins. Right. And all of a sudden, we have to pull back from all this uh, loose talk and nobody has the right to yell fire in a crowded movie theater. I love it. But you have to understand, I still see articles every day pointing out the hypocrisy of the left in the wake of this election, calling everyone racist and deplorables, and they don't fight fair. And, and my gosh, they were saying the Electoral College was great in, in 2012 when Obama wins now, when Trump wins, they're saying it's terrible and racist. It, it, it doesn't do anybody any good to point out hypocrisy in politics. Politics is war. There's no fair. There's yeah. no rules, okay? This is just... Uh, an, an exercise engaged in by people who have not yet reached the point where they're shooting at each other. Right. And in that sense, I suppose it's good. I'll take it over war. Don't get me wrong. Right. But this idea that there should be fairness or, or that uh, yeah. something's constitutional or unconstitutional, this is just force. It's yeah. just about winning and getting your way. And progressives never, ever, ever sleep. They are relentless. They're not going to go away because of this election or any other election. And if they won, uh, you know, 75% of everything they want, they'll create another 25% that they want to win. There's, we have to disabuse ourselves of this idea that there's, you know, uh, uh, rules, Robert's rules of order, or that, uh, <laughs> that we, should be, we should be pointing out political hypocrisy. It's, it's played at this point. We should all get it. And we, sh we, ha we need to stop looking at politics like we're in second grade and, and start understanding it for what it is. It's, it's, just a, 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 it's just a farce, and it's, 
It's just about imposing a particular viewpoint on other people using the state and its guns and its jails and its taxes and its regulations as the mechanism. Uh, right. You know, I, I get a little tired sometimes when I see articles pointing out hypocrisy. My God, you know, it, it's time to uh, to uh, use a different language. Yeah. Hypocrisy. It's uh, it, it's just war, as you say. Well, uh, it, probably the most serious threat, and I think both of you would agree with this, the most serious threat to our liberty is the Federal Reserve and the ability of government to create money out of thin air and use it, and then use our military-industrial complex to enforce the dollar regime throughout the world. Uh, I saw some something that I maybe I'm just hoping. Maybe it's just hope. Maybe it's just a fantasy. But uh, a fellow named John Allison, who's a, a banker, was uh, apparently rumored to be a potential Treasury Secretary under uh, under Trump. Um, and but he, of course, uh, chose a Goldman Sachs guy instead, as we know. Uh, but I'm reading now in the last day, uh, the last day or so here, I came across uh, some information that suggests that uh, John Allison, uh, who is um, a libertarian of sorts, at least, uh, that he is uh, apparently wrote a book after about the 2008-2009 financial crisis, and uh, apparently Vice President-elect Pence uh, liked his ideas and thought that it made a lot of sense in terms of explaining why and how we got into that mess, uh, and he recommended um, John Allison uh, and was able to get him in front of Trump, and they spent an hour and a half or so. Now, the rumor is this, that uh, Allison, who is apparently in favor of making gold legal tender again, uh, maybe, maybe, and I I think that chances are a snowball's chance in you-know-where, of replacing Janet Yellen. Uh, He wants to close down the Fed, but realizes that that can't happen quickly. So he's suggesting that rather than eliminate the Fed... Make gold tender, uh, make gold legal tender again, alongside the dollar to compete with the dollar, uh, and uh, I mean that sounds like a dream to me. I'm not sure. Maybe I dreamed it last night. Maybe it's not possible. But Jeff, any? Do you think mm-hmm. if Trump wanted to, could something like that happen, uh, and and Trump stay alive? <laughs> no, I don't think Allison could be chairman of the Fed. But let's backtrack for a second. He was the interim. Uh, head of the Cato Institute for about wow. two years. Um, it came in as the interim chair to uh, to, to sort of f- find a new head of Cato. And, and his book is actually quite good. He was a banker in private practice for BB&T and I believe other yes. commercial banks prior to that. So he has some of his own wealth. He's a successful guy. And he is a gold standard guy to his credit. He is uh, unabashedly an anti-Fed guy. And uh, I, I really, uh, I think I was quite pleasantly surprised when he was even thought of as, as a possible nominee for Treasury Secretary. And apparently he did actually go spend some time with Trump in his office, but ultimately obviously wasn't a name. But uh, yeah, someone like Allison in today's world is probably still a little too far beyond the pale to have serious consideration as Fed chair. Uh, I remember the joke used to be when Ron was running for president that uh, it's like trying to have an an atheist as Pope. Uh, (laughs) So I think that might apply somewhat to Mr. Allison. Uh, But look, would Hillary Clinton even be entertaining John Allison in in a discussion during her transition period? The answer Mm -hmm. is no. No. So the the fact that we're even talking about this stuff shows that the media is – 
you know, grip on this is is crumbling. So good for Trump for talking to him. Right. Well, I, I have a couple more issues, but I, one of the things that I wanted to get to before uh, before we lose track of the time and we don't have time, I want both of you uh, to to talk a little bit about uh, about what you're doing uh, with your respective positions, uh, and then and then tell people how that might care about what you're doing, how they might be able to donate. For example, uh, well, Daniel, you go first. Uh, the Ron Paul Institute. Tell our listeners what it's about and how they can, if they care about what it's about, how they can uh, donate to the cause. Well, thank you, Jay. Well, the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity really is is taking, you know, some of the things that were closest to Ron's heart when he was, uh, you know, his entire political life and moving them forward in a different way now that he's out of politics directly, uh, you know, in an educational way. And uh, we... Uh, we had, a, we had an enormously successful conference in Washington, D.C. this uh, past summer, our first conference, and we're looking forward to doing more. But we really, what we do is we spark the debate. Uh, we, we publish, you know, a highly curated website that's very well trafficked. And, you know, when, when the Washington Post says that we're, that we're horrible fake news, I, you know, I jump up and down for joy. <laughs> that, that we're, you know, it's much better to be noticed by these people and attacked than to be Ignored, so it shows we're getting somewhere. Uh, but Dr. Paul and I do uh, the, the, the Ron Paul Liberty Report every day as well, and uh, we reach millions of people that way. As a matter of fact, it, um, uh, we recently had on the show the uh, the faithless elector, the uh, the gentleman who actually voted for Ron Paul in the electoral college for the presidency. So uh, there's a <laughs> lot of fun stuff that we do, and interesting and interesting stuff that we do. Uh, our website is ronpaulinstitute.org. Uh, we run a very tight ship, and of course, we're we're extremely grateful for any support we can get. Oh, I know you run a tight ship, uh, Jeff. Uh, talk about the Mises Institute briefly, and and tell people how they can contribute. Well, uh, pure and simple, we're here for education. We we think that the Austrian School of Economics is correct, although mo- not monolithic, and we want people to learn real economics, and we want them to do it cheap. Uh, if not free, and we want them to do it on their own time. So we really see ourselves as a school of sorts, but radically redefined for the new era. Most people don't have the time or the inclination, especially beyond a certain age, to go attend or pay for a uh, brick-and-mortar institution. So uh, you know, through the Mises Institute, you can learn economics uh, as much or as little as you might care to. You might want to do nothing more than follow us on Twitter and occasionally click a link and read an article for three or five minutes, and as a result of that, uh, educate yourself. You might want to do the opposite. Come to our building, spend an entire summer with us doing research, uh, learn everything you can about economics, and and pursue uh, a graduate or a a doctorate in economics and make it your life's work. So we have uh, people from all walks of life uh, who go to each one of those extremes and everything in between. We have uh, truck drivers who listen to our stuff on, on Sirius Radio. We have housewives. We have homeschoolers. We have soldiers. Uh, we have college professors who uh, unindoctrinate themselves through our material. Um, we really want to be sort of a, a full-service, one-stop shop where you can come learn what we would call correct or real-world economics and, and unlearn what you've been taught, especially if you took a couple classes in college with a Samuelson textbook or something like that. Um, 
And, and so we really want to be uh, out there uh, flying the flag and, and and be seen as the as the the home, the global home of Austrian economics. So uh, if you check out Mises.org and you like what you see there, uh, certainly we'd accept a donation. But I think if you want to donate to us, it should be because you think you got something of value, uh, not as a gratuity. All right. Uh, thank you for that. Well, we with two minutes left um – Jeff, I want to just ask you, um, there was uh, an author and a book that's going to be published very soon, I mean, uh, that I think is very, might be very interesting to our listeners. I, one, of the, one of the issues that I've had about the Mises Institute is it's really a lot of academics. But if people can actually see how those academics, how the rubber meets the road with respect to the theories, the Mises theories, which I believe absolutely uh, explains how the world really works. But if people could really see the connection between the theory and their lives, it seems to me that would be that would really turn people on to Austrian economics. Now, you have an author that's going to be hopefully on this show sometime soon. Can you take a minute just to tell us about him, who he is, and and uh, and what his book is about? Sure, Ronnie Stoferly is a is an actual Austrian, meaning he's of Austrian birth. Uh, he, he and a few co-authors wrote a book. Uh, he's a fund manager of a wealth fund in Austria, and he and some other uh, uh, fund managers wrote a book on how to apply Austrian economics to investing. So in other words, how to make money off of riding the booms and, and perhaps shorting the bus. So it's a, it's a very interesting read, uh, again, called Austrian Economics for Investors. So there's plenty of people out there in the real world using uh, economics to, uh, to invest. So why not Austrian economics? Well, I look forward to it uh, when that book is out and, and perhaps having him and, and you. And uh, I want to thank both you and Daniel for being with us again today. We are out of time. I had more questions, but that's always the way it is. Uh, we'll have you back again sometime soon. Thanks to both of you for being with us. That is all the time we have this week, folks. Uh, next week, Alistair McLeod will be with us. He's uh, with Gold Money. He's going to talk about his views of the outlook for 2017. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders.